you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Friday Night Lights at Huish Park. How do you how do you pronounce that? I mean, it's got to be Huish, right? That's the. Huish. I mean, I guess it could be Huish, maybe Huish at a push. Huish sounds Huish. good though. Yeah, you'd have trouble if you were French, I'd say, with this one. They renamed it under Herrera difficult. Stadium anyway after uh, after what he did there last time we played them. That's right. We're almost uh, it's almost a derby. <laughs> we play them that often. It's a grudge just, match. Just a four hundred miles to get down there, or whatever it is. <laughs> I mean, it's such a brilliant away trip, isn't it, for the away fans, especially since it's the FA Cup and they've got that whole stand all to themselves. So lots of people we knew on telly last time uh, they played Jovial. That's my memory, apart from the uh, goal by Ander Herrera and he who shall not be named. So, uh, what's the big news of the week? United beat Burnley. Yeah, just about. Well. That's a kind of interesting description of it, isn't it? Because in a way, they sort of battered Burnley, but they did not make it comfortable for themselves with that performance in the final third, did they? No, I mean, didn't actually create that many chances. Uh, So it's it's not that, it's not as if uh, United created 30 chances and were being hugely wasteful. Uh, Burnley very, very good at defending deep with the low block um so united didn't really create that much didn't really mix up the the uh, tactics at all uh struggled to get sort of the byline get crosses in um so uh, and then wasted the the few chances that were created mostly um and then towards the end of course you know got a little bit deep as uh, united are wont to do in matches they were winning um and uh, and burnley sort of uh pushed hard but didn't Really create a lot. I thought, actually, United defended very well for the most part. Yeah, I suppose a um, a very noteworthy performance from both centre-backs. I have to say, I I noticed Phil Jones... Uh, Phil Jones more than I noticed Chris Morling, but um, the numbers would suggest that Chris Morling had an excellent game. Fourteen aerial duels won, which is a which is that is a big number of aerial duels. Uh, stats just kind of plucked out of the air uh, don't really mean anything, but. But 14 is a lot more than people normally win in a game. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, not sure what Burnley are doing there because they've got a little man up front. So uh, launching it at the little man is that well, uh, yeah, well-known tactic to, to fail normally. But, um, you know, Burnley have, uh, as we talked about on last week's pod, not been in great form. And, and they look like a side not in great form, you know. Uh, plenty of huff and puff, but no real quality and... Um, uh, what, what did they did did De Gea have to make any saves of real note? There was one. Not I sure, seem not to sure they did. One, one crashed off the bar, but it was the top of the bar, and uh, I think the hair was in a good position. A uh, couple of sort of easy saves. Don't remember a difficult one. Um, I, I thought the most noteworthy performance in a lot of ways was uh, was Paul Pogba's who I thought had a real off day that the whole the whole sort of final third United's attacking unit which has been in in really good fooling lately um just just didn't look on its game really I thought Lukaku was excellent for the most part really fine assist for Martial and did did a lot with not that much uh, in terms of like making sure he was linking up play and all that sort of thing but but Pogba generally speaking it looked to me in the first half like he was in he was in full-on try hard win the game on your own mode almost frustrated from the off for some reason and then the most- yeah I guess so he, he wasn't as nearly as influential as he was last week for example uh, I didn't think he was, he was bad I mean Lingard and Mata were for me much uh much more off their game than than Pogba um but it was just one of those kind of solid, professional, pretty clean. Uh, didn't really look like uh, they were going to give up their lead. I mean, it's it's two shots on target each for Burnley and United. So um, that, I think that's a pretty good description of the whole game, really. It wasn't a super exciting game. United did just enough. Um, the the moment that really stands out about Pogba's performance was the the counter attack in which he burst through and had two defenders on him, yeah, and both Martial and Lukaku on either side of him in excellent positions in space, and the decision to shoot there at one nil from you know twenty two or twenty three yards out felt like a very very foolish decision under the circumstances mm. well it, it, the kind of decision that if it was Marcus Rashford making that decision Mourinho would have called him out for it 
Um, and, uh, you know, and in fact, it was many players. So Pogba benefited from his normal excellence. Uh, that was, it was really, he doesn't normally make bad decisions like that, I've got to say. So let's call it um, a, a mistake and, uh, you know, not reflective of his normal game. Um, you- Rashford came on and was not very good. Um, he looks like a player who needs some time off. If you know, he's not played an awful lot of football recently. I know he's playing every game this season or every Premier League game, but it's a, it's a few minutes. It looks more like mental fatigue than anything. He's taking five touches when he once would have taken two. He's in what his uh, Spanish colleagues would call a difficult moment, Marcus Rashford. It's it's a, a bad patch for him for sure. And it all passed as soon as it came, I'm, I'm sure. And I don't know whether it's fatigue or just confidence. Like, he just needs a, a little run in the starting eleven rather than a break because he has been substitute a lot recently, hasn't he? I mean, how often... I have got the numbers in front of me, but how often has he started a game recently? It can't mm. be very often. Not, not a lot, yeah. I mean, I suppose he could play at Yeovil. Um, yeah. I just wonder whether just some time off might not do him good, uh, although they did have that 10-day break in... Dubai recently, um, you know, just refreshed the mind as as much as anything else. I mean, of course, Alexis Sanchez uh, uh, almost certainly now arriving. Doesn't look like anything's going to go wrong with the deal now. Um, uh, arriving at the right time if we wanted to give Rashford a break. Um, also going to put him under some pressure, I suppose. But Rashford's not in the team. So I don't, like, that's where I don't quite get the, the idea that a break is what he needs just because, because... Because he hasn't been in the team, so it's not like like Sanchez coming in or displaced Rashford from the team. Like Martial's displaced Rashford, doesn't he? And and Mourinho's using him. Sure, as a but late he's, sub. In a, he's, every, he's in every squad, and he's got to be mentally prepared. You know, I don't know. It's the amount of touches he's taking looks like a guy who needs to freshen his mind up in yeah. some way. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree at all with that. One thing that you said earlier was that Lingard had a really bad game against Burnley. What what did you not like about his performance? I didn't say he had a bad game. I, I said him and Mata were more off their game right, than, than right. Paul Pogba. Yeah, right. so I, I don't think he contributed much at all. Neither did Mata, and in the way that Mata has been influential as a as a figure um, who has basically been able to play where he wants for the last few weeks, and it's worked well. Yeah. Um, I I didn't think he found the space between the lines. And, of course, there wasn't any space between the lines yeah. uh, in the, with the way Burnley played. I wonder whether that was the key, really, that actually in this game, Mourinho would have been better off opting for out-and-out width. Um, although, of course, you don't necessarily want to be knocking crosses at those Burnley defenders either, do you? I mean... Burnley really do present a tricky tactical proposition and and in the end the thing that broke them was as we sort of I think we might have even said on the preview that it was likely to be um it was a shot from distance that broke Burnley and and a a very very fine one from Anthony Martial three and three yeah, although, so, I mean, maybe not the game situation, I thought. I, mean, I, I didn't really think United would be trying to catch Burnley on the break, which is basically what happened there. Um, you know, some uh, lovely control and turn and pass from Lukaku and, and shot from distance from Martial, but uh, basically he's just uh, he's got that one space open up uh, in which to shoot. You know, uh, the, the defender has kindly shielded the goalkeeper from seeing any of that. <laughs> Uh, not that it would have made much of a difference and he's stuck in the top corner. Yeah, brilliant. He's in superb form and is just, he's just a wonderful player, isn't he? I know we wax lyrical about Martial all the time. If you think we're bad on a podcast, you should see the WhatsApp group. It's just me and Ed going, yeah. he's brilliant, and he and Tom saying the same. Uh, just in time for um, Alexis Sanchez to come in and take his place on the left-hand side then. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is definitely not going to happen. Um so in fact, I guess this is the the Burnley game. It's 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 hard to really pick apart and dissect a one nil win away at Burnley. Uh, it's a, it's a big result because we're trying to rack up those three points. It was not a fluent performance, and in a way that the thing I think we've done best in in the you know the little good run of form that came after the kind of Christmas flatness, that little good run of form that the best thing about United has been the interplay between that front four and Pogba um, and it wasn't there in the same way uh, against Burnley but they did the job they got they got it done in the end um, and we marched on to the FA Cup and then a couple of like a massive game away at Spurs in midweek after that 
but we will presumably by then not have Henrik Mkhitaryan anymore in the squad. Not that that'll make a lot of difference, but we'll have Alexis Sanchez. So where where is he going to play? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm torn between him playing off the right uh, and potentially um, with one matter moving inside or competing with Jesse Lingard for that spot at number 10. Um, now there's no Mkhitaryan. Um, or him playing at number 10 and just being a direct replacement for Lingard. Could could be either. Yeah, I mean, I th- actually, to come to think of it, we probably had this discussion last week, didn't we, in some, some depth. <laughs> but if you think about the style of player that he is, replacing Mata will really change the balance of United's attack and not necessarily for the worst or not necessarily for the better. Um, but it's a, it'll be a, a new, different option compared to with what has been going on. Um, yeah, and, and Mourinho's been reluctant to, say, play Rashford down the right and, and Martial down the left yeah. for the most part. Um, and he, he likes the control that Mata brings. Of course, Mata can bring that control playing from a central area. Typically, that hasn't happened under Mourinho. Um, but it, it's an option. Um, Sanchez played more of his football off the left at Arsenal. Uh, cuts in, you know, classic inverted winger, really. C- mm. Cuts inside and can shoot, where he scores a lot of his goals. Um, that would... Uh, that would be a pity since that's uh, two of United's strengths, um, you know, in Rashford and Martial as options down the left. You'd be converting three players into one if you did that. And that's why I just think, I think it's almost not even likely to be part of the discussion because, you know, the fact that Mourinho's got rid of Mkhitaryan, well, we don't know this for absolutely sure, but come on, we, we the dots haven't been... T- the, their eyes haven't been dotted and the T's haven't been crossed, but Alexis put a picture on his Instagram story of him getting onto a private jet this morning. And there's not exactly been any shortage of Marie, uh, like, I mean, Arsene Wenger basically said, yes, this is what's happening. Um, well, Arsene Wenger said he was driving up north. So that was a lie for a start. <laughs> typical, yeah. typical lie. Yeah, he was liar. hitching, is it? You know, thumb in a lift. Uh, <laughs> No, well, uh, we we know the transfer is not uh, complete until Craig Norwood has given us the pictures. Well, no, he... no pictures, no, no 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 transfer, but uh, I'm sure it's coming very shortly. Um, the sticking point appeared to be um, uh, how much we know Raiola was going to get in his commission, <laughs> isn't it? Always uh, from shifting Mkhitaryan from United to Arsenal, basically. I have to say, I very much enjoyed Raiola's line when he was asked if Mkhitaryan was part of the Sanchez deal and he said, no, Sanchez is part of the Mkhitaryan deal. I was like, yeah, that is a good agent that says that. Um, well, look, um, nice segue to talking about some of the numbers, really, because there's been an awful lot of bullshit written in the, the papers. Incredible, Matt. You know, you know, I'm not one of these people who are like, oh, the media's biased against United um, uh, because I don't believe that's true. I think United get a disproportionate amount of coverage because it's the biggest club in the land. And so, of course, there's going to be a lot of column inches. But some real crap written. Nothing worse than Neil Ashton's column in The Sun, um, uh, which, you know, I shouldn't read, of course, but I did, uh, which basically said he'd, uh, he'd, uh, uh, he'd given up everything, his morals, his dignity, uh, his self-respect in order to join United and not Manchester City, because, you know, as we know, Manchester United are a club just taken over by billionaires spending their way to victory, right? Um, and, and it's not Manchester United, the 130-year-old institution that pretty much every planet player on the planet would like to join. And, and that line has been taken by journalists up and down the country as if somehow the correct moral choice would have been to join Manchester City uh, and not one of the planet's biggest clubs nonsense yeah um the 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 thing you said about you know the media bias I, I remember back in back in 2017 when I used Twitter um I used to get quite a lot of tweets um pointing out to me it, almost assuming that I would share the idea that there was a negative media bias towards United because it's like it seems to be just generally assumed whereas actually as we know from our own numbers as is the case for people like full-time devils um and as is the case for any big organization writing about United if you want traffic on United stories write good news stories <laughs> you know we get more listeners when United win full-time devils get more viewers uh, when United win uh, clicks on websites are 
um, much more prominent when United either are doing well or their pray, stories of praise are much more likely to be shared by United fans. So, mm. Well, of course, the, the thing you really need to do is add a clickbait headline to that. So maybe we should do that on the pod, you know. <laughs> the happy, jolly pod with, you'll never believe what this player thought about this game. <laughs> Shocker. Um, Rankast, 231. 200, my goodness, Ed. That's, 300 whatever. Yeah, 300 and a million. Um uh, but yeah, so it's you know it's it's a nonsense to suggest that there's a, a conspiracy in the media against United. Mm. There's loads of United Actually, fans in the media. You know, I, I've come to the conclusion, having um, you know, done the best I could to work out what the numbers are, that actually it's a very good deal for United. So um, we, there's no cash moving either way. It's a, it's effectively a straight swap, swapping a 35 million pound player for the fee that Arsenal were demanding for a player who would typically be worth much more than that if he wasn't out of contract in six months um and uh and the net wage is about 300 grand or something like that you know and probably not even that much because i'm quite sure in a, a number of these figures they're adding in um uh, adding in sinus signing bonus and image rights and stuff like that um, wait do you mean uh, net wage i just mean like what we're losing in mkhitaryan's wage the net addition to United's wage bill. Right. Um, it's 300 yeah. grand a week. So something Alexis like. is making 300 grand a week more than Mkhitaryan was making. Yeah, something like that. It would appear wow. to be, but that's including all the various bonuses and stuff like that. That's a um, lot. But United are going to lose Carrick from the wage bill soon and almost certainly Ibrahimovic, um, and there'll be very little difference. Um, United's wage bill is about the third largest in Europe at the moment. Roundabout, I mean, you know, there's, there's top five clubs all very close to each other there, um, and and you know, it's, it also make the biggest revenue of any club in Europe. So, so what? It's it's a fraction of United's um, income on this deal. Uh, there have been much much bigger deals uh, for the club down the years. The whole United versus City of it all. It's very interesting because, on one hand, I do have some sympathy with the people writing it doesn't really make sense from a football perspective that he's come to United over City when City are going to win the league this season, for example. So, yeah, I'm sure that's what Yaya Torre thought, you know, when they offered him huge mega bucks in 2009 or whatever no but i'm not i'm not talking about the moral relativism of it like that's obviously total nonsense i mean like you know city are built on the the current incarnation of city are built on on that that's their entire model isn't it um but right now i just mean right in this very transfer window there is there is a logical argument that he should just move to City. But on the other hand, there's so many footballing arguments against that. So first of all, Sanchez and Pep didn't exactly work a total treat at Barcelona, did it? Well, yeah, but only one season together. But yeah, yeah, but for, uh, quite a fractious season at that. Um, then on the other hand, you've got the fact that there's no way he'll play every week at City because there's much more competition for places in the spots that are likely to be his. So he'll be less needed and less kind of valued by that squad. Um, he'd be much more of a kind of peripheral figure. Um, not, I don't mean literally peripheral as in hardly involved, but I mean, relatively speaking, like he comes to United, he's going to be a, a kind of star player straight away in a different way than he would at City. And also the thing that really makes sense is Mourinho and Sanchez personality wise seems to be, you know, if if ever there's a player in modern day football who will apply Mourinho's run through walls for me methodology, you would imagine Alexis Sanchez is it. Yeah, I think he'd still would have been a, a starting player at City. I mean, clearly they wanted to spend sixty million pounds on him last summer. Had a fee agreed, and he would have gone had it not been for the fact that Arsenal couldn't get a replacement. So, um, I you know I wonder whether the 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 doubt that came in at City is much more to do. With um, uh, with the balance of their squad and not wanting to upset things in the middle of the season, not needing him quite as much at this moment, uh, them dithering and and it giving United the opportunity, you know, and and sure he's going to make um, more money at United, but honestly, what's the difference between four hundred grand a week and three hundred grand a week, right? Because he but, would have been making that much as it's not a lot, and and maybe he's made that de- decision. It's not life changing. Um, uh, I think actually what has happened 
more than anything is that City have gone, hmm, I'm not sure about this anymore. And it's not about the money because Sovereign Wealth Fund doesn't make any difference. Well, doesn't it? I mean, do they are, are they do they have no interest in relative value? Are they not? Are they completely like what well, doesn't matter? We'll just pay anyone anything. I don't. That doesn't seem to necessarily be where they're at right now. I mean, that certainly was where they were at in the, when you Arturo well, signed. But they spent 150 million pounds on fullbacks last summer, and only one of them ever plays. <laughs> one of them got injured straight away, didn't he? To be fair, um, but yeah, I mean, and and. It it's not like the it's not like who was prepared to pay the most transfer fee was going to be what really decided this was it it's the total financial package of it all I don't know it just I think it's very easy from a United perspective to go oh this is all fine this is all fine but there there's some that there's not nothing in the idea that that actually kind of joining United over City right now and United throwing way more money at it than City did. That is a thing, isn't it? That is a thing that hasn't happened before. It is. It does reflect where both clubs are at on, like, today, you know. Sure, but I'm quite sure Alexis Sanchez has also bought into the argument. I think it's a fair one that he can make a bigger impact on the United's performance uh, than he would do going to City, you know. Um, I'm sure Mourinho will have sold him the idea or, or uh, his agent will have sold him the idea that he could uh, really help this United team push City hard. Mm. Uh, why not why not um so look um club wants another player more than another club is prepared to spend a bit more money is a story that we see a hundred times every season in transfers a mm-hmm. hundred times more you know um what's the big f- deal Geez, I mean, united didn't used to have a until the glazers came in united didn't used to have a problem paying the best wages um, and in fact, since Fergie went, United suddenly don't have a problem paying the best wages again uh, on account of, I'm sure, the Glazers realising the value being wiped off their asset uh, of a team finishing seventh was not that good. Um, so, yeah, I just don't see the big deal here. Uh, the the kind of moral arguments about this are ridiculous. Sure. Players joining one of the biggest clubs on the planet yeah, they're going to pay him a great wage. Uh, he he could have also gone that got that by moving to China and playing for you know Evergreen Guangzhou or something like that, you know, and never being seen again. Um, you know, money is money is money. Players can get a lot of it being good. Uh, he would have been able to get that at another top European club as well. So what? Yeah. So scale of one to ten, or grade from whatever to whatever. How do you rate this transfer for United, assuming Mkhitaryan out, straight swap, load more money? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very good transfer um, for the most part, right? Just to take it uh, take it as a, a great player, great addition, uh, great record over the last 10 years in Europe. He's going to score lots of goals and uh, uh, provide lots of chances and, and uh, get lots of assists. Um, uh, you know, I was looking at the numbers. He has a better goal scored, chances created, assists, passes completed, um, key passes than uh, Coutinho, for example, who's just gone for 140 million, right? So um, uh, all of it better um, and not necessarily in a better side during that time. Um, so he's going to put up great numbers for United. Uh, as Mourinho said yesterday, uh, he only has four Attackers for three spots. I'm not quite sure that that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, someone needs to take Mourinho back to primary school and teach him yeah. counting again. Um, but, you know, he doesn't have loads of options. This is another option, so I think that's great. It's a lot of money, but I actually think when you when you look at... I mean, his, his value to United is now double what they've just paid for him because he's now on a long-term contract. Um, so that's one way of thinking about it. Um, and the huge wages will be offset by Mkhitaryan going, Carrick going and Ibrahimovic going. Yeah, although Carrick and Ibrahimovic going, m- m- they're not, it's not like we're not going to sign anyone on big money in no. the summer, is it? Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, United's total wage bill is, as a percentage of revenue, is the lowest in the Premier League. Could have paid even more. That's pretty amazing uh, when you think how much money is going out every week. Um I mean, I think I said this last week on on the show, but I do have some 
I'm, I've got super into the hype of it all over the past week and just been kind of excited at the prospect. And But I do have some reservations about Sanchez's style and persona and how that will affect United's attack, especially if he feels like, I don't know, if he feels like he needs to do it single-handedly. But you kind of think that in training he'll realise pretty quickly that he's surrounded by a much better calibre player than he was at Arsenal. Because out of Arsenal's entire starting eleven, Sanchez and Ozil are the only people that would get near United's first eleven, and and right. Ozil right. not even necessarily. Actually, uh, his he, major competition for a place in the team was Theo <laughs> Walcott. <laughs> Everton's Theo flipping Walcott. Flipping. <laughs> yeah. Flipping, I tell you. Um, yeah, he's going to be uh, alongside a much, much better set of players. Um, the the one other player, I think, at Arsenal, who could trouble United's first team for like six matches a season when he's fit would be uh, Jack Wilshere when he's at his best. Cause... <laughs> yeah, the myth that he's Jack Wilshere. He's when been, when was that exactly? No, um, maybe he, seven or eight years ago. He's been pretty good this season. Like he's been when, since he's fought his way back into the team. I think he made quite a big difference to Arsenal. But anyway, uh, that's that's a, a whole nother discussion. But yeah, so I guess maybe maybe that will because it's not like you see him play for Chile and you think, oh, he's just acting like a big shot all the time, and you know he could easily do that in the Chile side where obviously he's a, a national hero and, and understandably so. But actually, he seems to be a real sort of team player in that collective, and it really is just the last sort of season and a half at Arsenal where it's been quite unpleasant to watch him really. There's just a touch of Cristiano Ronaldo 0809 about it all, you know. Hmm. He scored 30 goals last season. I'm not sure it's last yeah, season and okay, a half. Yeah, fair enough, fair yeah. enough. It's definitely been this season and, and uh, you know, I, he believed he was leaving and uh, I think his, uh, mentally his head had gone a little bit. Yeah. Basically, yeah. But, um, uh, and, and Arsenal have probably done the right thing for them by... Um, you know, they've now got a player who will probably do very well at Arsenal. At least he'll be very Arsenal in that he's good one game in eight or something. <laughs> uh, Fitting yeah. just fine. I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a salute to Mkhitaryan in a way. Um, I, I'm very sad that Mkhitaryan's leaving because it means the dream of good Mkhitaryan is dead. It feels very similar to when Kagawa left and it was like obviously the right thing that he left. Maybe even Danny Welbeck a little bit of like the... The player that you could see in there never really consistently was able to bring that to bear on United. But last season, he was a very important player for us and so important in the Europa League. Did He scored in Stockholm, right? He's, there's obviously the Scorpion kick, which now Arsenal can don't have to worry about arguing whether Giroud or Mkhitaryan's better because they've got both of them. Um, but the... the uh, he brought something really special to United on his day. I just remember the pre-season game against Wigan, um, which was his first appearance in a, a red shirt, and he just looked absolutely electric, and it looked like he was going to make a real difference. And then there was the derby, and he was so dreadful in that game, and then reacted apparently really, really badly to being substituted, and that cost him three months of his United career. And it looked like it was going well. At the beginning, he's got five assists in the first three games of the season, I think, this season. And then just since then, I remember you and I, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but we we were there at that Crystal Palace home game that United won 4-0. And Mkhitaryan was just complete garbage in that game. And he hasn't had a good game since. Yeah, uh, pretty much the case. Yeah, uh, it seems to be a, uh, a confidence player uh, who has no confidence. Uh, so everything was going wrong for him. He... he uh, was given the opportunity at number 10 this season. He's a Mourinho n- number 10, you know, bursty, creative, not an old-fashioned number 10, quick, quick with the ball, um, all of that kind of stuff, and and uh, just didn't take that chance. Uh, uh, the the, the, uh, the word went round that he had a different football philosophy than uh, Jose Mourinho, i.e. didn't like tracking back uh, or any of that kind of stuff. So he'll do just fine at Arsenal. I'm not sure exactly where he'll fit in. He might play... Off one of the wide, um, uh, in one of the wide forward areas, uh, Arsenal often play with three at the back these days, don't they? Yeah, he's not going to be playing as a wing back, but he'll play in one of the sort of wide attacking areas. Um, and you know, he's he's technically very good. He'll fit in fine at Arsenal, and maybe he'll get back some of the confidence that he's lost. And I sort of hope he does, you know, moderately well at Arsenal. Not well enough to, you know, 
make Arsenal good, obviously, but I, I hope that him on a personal level has a lot of success there because he always seemed like a, a lovely fellow as well um, and really seemed to love being at United, even though he, he didn't love Mourinho necessarily and sort of feel like it's uh, it's a shame that... Um, we didn't get Mkhitaryan under Ferguson because I think that could have been that could have been something quite special. I think he would have been the perfect kind of manager to handle Mkhitaryan. Yeah. Um, well, M- Mourinho has very little subtlety to his man management. Right? His way or the highway, and, and Ferguson was a, uh, able to adapt to all kinds of players. But you know, but and that's pretty rare, isn't it, in managers um, I think to he's be the able only, to do that? I think he's the only one. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he, um, he'll be gone. Uh, will we see him? Yeah, we got another. We must have another game against Arsenal. Um, uh, I guess at Old Trafford. I'm trying to remember when we last played them. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, because we won at the Emirates. So I think we have another game at Old Trafford. So I guess he'll be back at that point. That that should be fun, shouldn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll get a nice reception unless he says weird stuff from now until then. Um, and then maybe we'll see Sanchez at Yeovil, although uh, apparently there's a little delay here because uh, they're both non-EU players and uh, they both have to sort of reaffirm their um, their work permit status. Right. So it could delay things a little bit um, on the final registration. Um, they have until, I guess, uh, uh, Wednesday or Thursday in order to do that for him to play. Um, as as was pointed out widely, it would have been funny if he'd made his debut at Turf Moor, like another recent high-profile Manchester United number seven. We all remember when Angel Di Maria uh, strode out, bestrode the Turf Moor grass like the colossus that he was for about five minutes. <laughs> uh, you're playing very well at Paris Saint-Germain at the moment. Uh yeah, it's almost in a, in a, it's almost like he's an excellent player who was almost like that, yeah. mishandled, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's Burnley. That's the transfers. Uh, another piece of news this week: Michael Carrick is retiring. Uh, going to be. I'm. That's. Uh, uh, has he actually announced his retirement? Uh, Mourinho kind of announced it for him that he'd be joining the coaching staff. Is he definitely not going to play after this summer? I think. I think. It was widely said that you know that Carrick had announced his retirement, and he didn't say, "I'm not retiring," which he presumably would have done. Um, he could have told the people in the away end at Burnley, couldn't he? Because he was there with his son, who apparently absolutely loved it, and wants to go again next week. Yeah, um, uh, apparently he's fit though, so he could be in the squad to face Yeovil. Um, uh, you allowed uh, you allowed kids in the away end at Yeovil on their own, unchaperoned. He could be. I'm sure he could find a chaperone. If I'm they... sure maybe, maybe Gary Neville will come out of retirement and uh, <laughs> uh, you know sit in the away end. Yeah, maybe he, he likes doing that. He, um, does, he doesn't like us anymore, though, does he? So you know, I'm sure Garrett will be a good coach. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have no idea. Right? Maybe he won't be, but uh, he he uh, he talks a good game about the game. He seems pretty insightful and he's composed and obviously understands the game on the pitch very well. Always. A, incredibly intelligent player um, on the pitch for United over the last 10 years or so. So I get the sense that he'll um, he'll uh, be a good coach in the way that I never got the confidence that new Wales manager Ryan Giggs would be a good coach. But we'll see. I mean, there's, uh, there's uh, you know, it's surface deep there. I, I don't uh, I don't know what he's like as an actual coach, but he's been doing some with the uh, under-13s or under-11s. Can't remember. He's uh, He's been doing that for quite a while anyway, Michael Carrick. Do you think Paul Scholes is annoyed? Oh, come on. I was there for years. He didn't let me be a first-team coach when I retired. I yeah, got to but do was, for wasn't weeks. he looking for more than he was offered? You know, uh, he? He, had a, he had a short spell with uh, Nicky Butt. Yeah, under, under, under gigs. 14 or something, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe so. But, yeah, it's, it's nice that Carrick will stay, stay part of the club. And, and you know, his, his career has got to be the most... Well, I was going to say the most polarising player to have a 10-year-long Manchester United career, but there's one guy that's just left last summer who might run him close, polarisation-wise, for, for a player that's been there that long. But, you know, still people who absolutely hate Michael Carrick and everything he stands for. Yes, but they're for. people who don't understand football and they're <laughs> stupid. Just to sit on the fence on this one. Look, if he was, if he was called Michel Carrickes... 
He'd have had where 150 he, caps for Spain. Where would he be from if that was his name? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, look, any any top European nation, he'd have had 100 caps. Just absolutely criminal how successive England managers just didn't understand what to do with a, uh, a player as intelligent and as good on the ball as Michael Garrett. One of the really mad things about it is Michael Carrick's presence could have made Skull, uh, could have made Gerard and Lampard work together. It's the thing that I've thought for many years. Like, if only you had someone who would like religiously hold, cover the spaces, make sure that uh, they weren't overcommitting going forward, and could feed really devastating passes to players who've got like superb ability on the ball to shoot from long range. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, but. What England lost United gained, because, you know, he's had such a long career at United and up until very recently, I I thought last season, I think I maybe I predicted at the beginning of this season, actually, that he'd retire by Christmas and I wasn't too far off on that. Um, but I thought last season he really looked shot to me and given what, everything that came out about his health, perhaps that's not super surprising um but up until last season he was just excellent all from you know there was that that he was brilliant when he first came to the club and i remember you saying on this very show in the early days of this show that he's one of the players who suffered most from ronaldo's departure because it looked like he had to refine himself and he's talked about this himself really that you know after ronaldo left his job wasn't just to kind of recycle the ball quickly and get it to ronaldo in the same way it had been and it took him a while to bed in and i think it was probably around 12 13 that he really that was when the the carrot chant started that away at qpr and then really caught on he had a a superb season that season was probably second in everyone's player of the year vote that that time around um and since then you know he's managed to be consistent while everything around him has been falling apart around his ears hasn't he yeah i mean he's uh, he's got 460 games for the club very few players have done more than that mm. um countless trophies uh including many many premier league titles that said uh, steven gerrard definitely doesn't have any of <laughs> Um, And he had a very good good career before that, you know, two great seasons at Spurs. Uh, Very, very, very good young player at West Ham. Uh, He can be very proud of his career. And I think uh, it is not his fault that he didn't get more England caps. He should have done and he should have been playing in those big tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you said not many players have played that many times for United. And he he's 17th overall in United appearances, which is, you know, so that's like to be in the top 20 for a club that, as you say, has been around for 130 years is really quite something, isn't it? Yeah, bravo. Uh, yeah, great, great career. Um, uh, One of the last, well, I guess he's the last player from the 2008 yep. team to to still be in the squad, isn't he? Yep. Um, I was going to say he's one of the last of the Fergie era, but he's not because actually the whole of the back five were Fergie <laughs> purchases yesterday. Uh, uh, the man endures, doesn't he? Yeah, he certainly does. And you'd hope so too because you'd expect five years after someone's retired haven't replaced the entirety of the squad, especially when oh, I don't know. That's modern football, though, isn't it? Mm. You know, they, they, you know, big clubs recycle the managers every, and it really is recycling because they just go on this merry-go-round every three years and change all the players. They do. We had a really nice email this week, Ed, from a guy called Matt Fajner from the States who um, recounted discovering our show uh, about episode 300. And uh, in episode 300, you said, I wonder if anyone's mad enough to have listened to all of these. And he decided that that was him and he was going to take that challenge. And he's gone back and listened to every single rank cast from the beginning to now. Um, and apparently really enjoyed that process, which I thought was just glorious. Um, wow. I also wanted to say a big thank you to... Uh, Did he do it all in one go? I mean, is he now <laughs> totally unshaven and smelling really bad, having been just listening while eating pizza for a week? <laughs> a week? A week? Well, it's 300 hours. How many hours in a week? Uh, no, it's more like two weeks, yeah. solid, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, imagine if you did that. I've done it. I not obviously not all in one go, but I, there's a couple of podcasts which, when I discovered them, I discovered them quite a long way through their run and went back to the beginning and listened to every episode. It's quite a, it's quite a fun thing to do. I did it with the Giant Bombcast, which is three hours long every week. So that took a long time. 
Three hours. Jesus. Three hours. Uh, Producer Tom will be very glad that we do 45 (laughs) minutes to an hour and not three hours for him to edit. Although, you know, we could threaten that, shouldn't we? (laughs) Um, So before we get to Twitter questions, we'll do this in the wrong order for once. Um, Yeovil, uh, 21st in League 2. Yeovil Town, not not exactly high flyers, but I mean... Well, it's going to be a close game this one, isn't it? <laughs> when we were growing up, they had this big reputation for giant killing because they were always a non-league club and they would quite often get to the third round. That's my memory of it anyway. What, and with they, their sloped pitch. Exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say. They, famously, they had this sloped pitch, but they, they don't have it anymore. It's a, a normal pitch now. <laughs> that's where it all went, went wrong for them, didn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, it was good fun last uh, last time out. Was it a couple of years ago? You know, so the 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 game there, and uh, it was a bit closer than perhaps we thought it might be. It was. Um, Yeovil finished twentieth in League Two last season, and they're currently twenty first. So they're nothing if not consistently. <laughs> um, uh, but look, it's it's um, it's same with uh, all clubs in that part of the world. Really, it's uh, they aren't big cities down that way, are they? Um, and it's hard to uh, muster the crowd. So there's never been a club from Devon, Somerset, or or um, or what's the other one? Cornwall. Cornwall. <laughs> I know my geography well. <laughs> um, uh, made it into the Premier League, I guess. Uh, no, and it's not. Yeah, it's not surprising, and I guess it'd be a very long time and, until that happened. Because also, they're not necessarily not necessarily a footballing hotbed culturally, is it? In the southwest, does not exactly have the same reputation as the northwest in in that regard. But um, that last game, you know, it was really laboured, and it took a Herrera wonder goal to separate the sides. And I think the Di Maria goal was right at the death, if I remember, um, to make it 2-0. It was all almost over by that point. That, that goal was basically irrelevant, um, fittingly, because Angel Di Maria's United career was basically irrelevant, sadly. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember Herrera turning and shooting and the place going absolutely ballistic because he did it in front of the United end. Um, and of course, like like all United aways in the FA Cup, it sounded amazing because that's <laughs> those are those are the best games for atmosphere, aren't they? They are, and there'll be a good following there next Friday night. It's going to be a bit of a bugger for those uh, those travelling to get back to Manchester, I'd imagine. I'm going to guess there aren't too many trains late on a Friday night going from Yeovil to Manchester. No, that is that is a really cruel bit of uh, fixture scheduling, isn't it? Um, well, you know, um, when was the last time broadcasters gave a flying about uh, the fans? You know, this side of never... Um, is when so uh, but the fans that do make it there they will be in fine voice uh, and cheering United on and we are just delaying because we know absolutely nothing about Yeovil um, uh, the team but um, except they're not very good and their star striker is a 34 year old Ivorian which I found to be a delightful quirk who um, in the last several years has turned himself into a lower league uh, journeyman playing for Carlisle United, Notts County, Stevenage, Blackpool, Bradford City and Yeovil Town where he scored 24 in 84 appearances including 9 in the league this season and his name I totally know is Francois Zocco so, yeah, I, I was checking out the team. They play a, a 4-4-2. So uh, we'll see whether United like it up them on a cold Friday night in Yeovil. I mean, it'll uh, be maybe, it'll be may- balmy and warm down there, won't it? Uh, English Riviera. <laughs> exactly. Well, n- n- near enough. is well, That might be talky. Um, uh, showing off my knowledge of the Southwest here. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to love the occasion. I can't imagine United are going to bugger this up. I can. Uh, really. <laughs> okay. Um, what kind of team do you think um, Mourinho will put out? I mean, there's there's definitely uh, a few players likely to be rested, given that it's Spurs on the Wednesday afterwards away. So I think we'll see Romero and we'll see Luke Shaw. Um, those are the only two that, I, and I guess we'll see a start for Marcus Rashford. I'd say those are those would be the three players who I'd feel most confident of saying they're going to be in the first. I think yeah. he'll and Herrera needs a game. Yeah, because he's not had a lot. Fellaini will get a game, surely, uh, because he's not had a lot. Oh God! But um, that, uh... And then there's there's a few players like uh, Carrick. We mentioned McTominay, Twinzaby. Will he get a game? Because Mourinho talked about him the other day, saying uh, he's been unlucky. We've got a lot of players there. 
Mm, I, yeah, but we've still got a lot of players. Marcus Rocco's fit, I think. Um, so maybe maybe he'll play. I actually have no idea if Marcus Rocco's fit or not. We haven't seen him, have we, in the team? I don't know if he's been on the bench lately. Um, but... I mean, if he if he plays Herrera and Fellaini, right there, that's a that, given the form that the two of them haven't exactly been. I mean, Fellaini's not been in bad form; he's just not been involved because he was injured and everything. But Herrera's been in. He looked good against Derby. Herrera did, but I'm not sure whether we'll see that version of. It. I mean, he likes Yeovil, doesn't he? We know that, <laughs> so maybe that will. Yeah, maybe... and he's not one of the players who's uh, not going to put in a shift simply no, because it's a lower league club, and Fellaini will definitely find his level. <laughs> but, the, you know, you could see a bit of a disjointed performance if, if Mourinho mixes it up too much. Um, so, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, United should definitely win this game. But I think going, given the last few years, to just be like, oh, it'll be fine. It's only Oval. It's like, well, I mean, it'll probably be fine because it's only Oval. But on the other hand, there is the chance that it might not be fine because we do tend to find a way to underperform randomly um, these days. Especially if, we, if we're taking it lightly and, and rotating heavily. Because if you say saying, like, Twanzebe, Fellaini, we assume Romero, Herrera, Shaw, um, that's, all, that's five out of the six, and Rashford, so that'd be six out of the 11 who didn't start this game. And Mourinho doesn't right. tend to change it that much. No, he doesn't, although this is definitely the game in which he would do that uh, with the Champions League starting again soon enough mm. and, a, and a big game against Spurs coming up. Uh, Victor Lindelof wasn't in the squad at all. Uh, for United's win over Burnley. not Didn't hear about any injuries, so maybe he'll come back in. Yeah. You mentioned Axel Tonsebe, actually, which reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about, and that's one of the greatest days in the history of Manchester United Football Club, which was Thursday this week when Jesse Lingard was given access to the Instagram account, and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't agree with this. This is just... It was nonsense and silliness is what it was. It was good fun. Yeah, exactly. It was there was there were individual handshakes with different players, as you would expect. There was a very good one where he pretended to meet Alexis Sanchez in the medical, uh, which was just very funny. And then he filmed himself watching it on the news later that day, which was proper, proper funny. Um but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I thought that the you know, on a slightly serious note, this is actually a really good thing because we talk all the time about footballers being isolated from people and, you know, the the kind of lack of relationship between the players and the fans and this kind of stuff really, especially for young, I mean, I'm, I'm a, 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 a child at heart when it comes to these things, but especially for young kids, it's, it's absolutely brilliant to be able to get that kind of glimpse of what the relationship between the players is like behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I think, I think, it, I think it's more than just, of course, it's very silly, but I think it's more than just silliness. It represents something slightly more important than that, slightly more about the kind of connection. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's a sense of access, I suppose. It's still a distant access compared to the now distant past of players interacting with fans. Uh, there was a funny shot on uh, on um, Sky Sports earlier of uh, fans gathering outside Carrington waiting for <laughs> Alexis there. It was basically one bloke. Uh, with an umbrella and his daughter. I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking this was the dad's choice to do this, to stand out in a freezing rain <laughs> the, the, on a Sunday. Wow. Also, like, fans gathering outside Carrington. It's like, well, fans gathering at the end of a really, really long road outside Carrington. Yeah, exactly. It's not uh, not exactly a central Manchester location, is it? Anyway, shall we do some Twitter questions? Sure. Have, uh, have we got some to hand? Uh, we we have some. We have some. We normally have uh, quite a lot, but uh, any any particular uh, somehow way? since it's only recently my job to do this since Paul uh, gave up tweeting lazy git that years. <laughs> uh, I now have to tweet out questions and ask them. It's terrible. Sack Khan S A C H K A A N asks: Do you think Jose will be more expansive in big games after Alexis's arrival? Hold on, hold on. I, I think Alexis is going to enjoy playing it right back. <laughs> I'm just going to hold on, hold on. Here we go. <clears throat> no! <laughs> I, I, it's just brilliant. You've got your 500,000-pound uh, new attacker. Uh, you're going to be doubling up with uh, Antonio Valencia uh, in defensive positions. Uh, on Wednesday night at Spurs, probably. 
<laughs> Funny place for him to start his United career, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, Vishrat Garag, uh, Vishrat underscore Garag, uh, or Garg, uh, on Twitter. Um, uh, asks, and this, I think this is a fair point, actually. Do you think the one problem with the attackers not passing and going solo on solo runs will become worse after the arrival of Alexis? You know, the point being that it's not always a joined-up unit, is it, United's attacking play? Um, uh, it sort of speaks to the idea that Mourinho only coaches the defensive side of the team and just lets the forwards do their thing as long as they're tracking back. Uh, yeah, I think I said that last week on the show. I, I think that's my that's the big reason that I have had to kind of um, almost let go of that in order to enjoy the f- the fuss and nonsense and Ferrari around the Alexis Sanchez San- transfer because I, I think there's a real prospect that he doesn't dramatically improve United's attack all in one go because of because of that I look mm. forward to being proven wrong uh, Gary underscore 1105 says how often do you reckon we'll start with the front four of Marshall Sanchez Rashford and Lukaku <laughs> never uh, yeah I, I really hope we're totally wrong about Mourinho and he just goes yeah I'm playing 4-2-4 now <laughs> <laughs> throw on all the forwards yeah, so that's like Pogba as well so you, I mean he obviously is a very good midfielder Pogba but he's a forward at heart in a way isn't he you know so um, yeah I, I think I think the answer to that is very rarely but it'll mm. happen like when we're chasing games and stuff there'll be there'll be times when we've got that front four maybe maybe um, uh, you might want to swap one of those out for Fellaini, who are chasing games. Matt Fajnor says, uh, how many players are United away from winning the league? That's uh, 300 episodes deep into the rank cast, Matt Fajnor. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, not quite 300 players, but a few, a few. <laughs> I mean, uh, a, another midfielder. Yeah, I don't know exactly where they fit into the team, but, um, uh, you know, uh, the balance of the squad looks like it looks better when it's a 4-3-3. Uh, maybe that will change with Alexis. I don't know. I mean, he fits into that formation pretty well, doesn't he? Yep. Um, and and so another very high-quality central midfielder would be needed. Sort out the defence, both full-backs, or maybe not, if Luke Shaw's fit and playing as well as he has done recently. But Although, he was, yeah. He dropped was, against yeah, Burnley, wasn't he? Yeah, that kind of makes the notion that Luke Shaw has made that position his own uh, extremely uh, flaky. I was... So harsh. I mean, he talked talked about Luke Shaw before having uh, done really well, and he said there are not many better left backs in the world than Luke Shaw now. Well, apparently, <laughs> Ashley Young is one of those. Apart from Young, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I think definitely right back is is a position that we need to upgrade to really threaten the league. But some people seem to think Antonio Valencia is w- wonderful and I might be completely wrong about this, but to me he's just far too wasteful in attacking situations. Um, or, I don't know, I, this is the point I've banged on about with Fellaini, but again, there's an opportunity cost factor with Valencia where it's like a really good right. But I, I feel like Valencia is, is kind of... The kind of player who's like at a level where if a really, really good right back came in to replace him who was really good in attacking areas, you might go, oh, that's what everyone's been talking about, you know, because he's functional, isn't he, rather than brilliant, Valencia. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of couple of questions on related uh, lines. Richard Ruffley, you know, so at Felly Beat and uh, uh, at Crab's Legs 111. Ask uh, when will you actually be announcing their new Chilean snack food partner? And uh, have we already peaked this season after signing our new tractor partner? Oh, I didn't know. Have we signed another new tractor partner, or is that <laughs> I'm not sure. the same one? If we have, I've that's given amazing. up watching the uh, minor regional partners. <laughs> it's kind of I'm slightly obsessed with them, to be fair. Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting. We, we high-profile South Americans has not been, apart from the odd beloved for a short period of time Argentinian, um, it's not really been a big factor in, in United squad, really. Um, so if Sanchez is a massive hit at United, uh, say he's, his United career is an unqualified success, that would be the first South American at United to have a, a, an unqualified success at United. Yeah, uh, we'll see uh, if he is an unqualified success or not. Mm. I mean, of course, his arrival will always be couched in terms of money, I'd imagine. But uh, um, uh, he he might be the one that's got all the right ingredients. You know, he's not coming from 
directly from South American football or from Europe. He's had four seasons in England now. We know exactly what he can provide. All the ingredients are there for him to to be um, to be uh, excellent at United. Yep. So yep. we'll see. Um, uh, Chile's not a big economy, though, by the way. So no. I'm not sure we'll be signing an awful lot of Chilean snack food partners or telecom providers or any of that kind of stuff. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, so final question of the week comes from Ricky Daniels at RickD83. How do you value the 98-99 Champions League winning team in this crazy transfer market? Come on, let's put a value on it. Oh, on each so, player individually. right? Peter each Sch- player individually. Peter and, Schmeichel. of course, we're going we're gonna to have to include... Skulls and Keane, even yeah. though they didn't play in that okay. final. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so Schmeichel. And we're Schmeichel. assuming we're assuming three years into a five-year contract on all these players, right? So, yeah, we could probably actually we had time to research this. We could work out where they yeah, were. Because Schmeichel would be a free transfer at the end of the season. <laughs> Uh, exactly. So free, free, yeah. and he was he was getting on a bit, wasn't he? But, uh, he, but let's, he wanted the warmth of Portugal after that. Let's let's all all assume. So we're taking them at, at the imagining they were in a th- they were three years into a five year contract, but at the level they were at in ninety eight ninety nine, rather than at their ultimate prime. So yeah, I'd still say you've got a, you're looking at a fifteen million fee for Schmeichel minimum. Yeah, yeah, because you'd get another three years out of him. Yeah, yeah, if he had a contract. Yeah, yeah. In theory, and you did, you did. He he hit the heights of Lisbon City and Aston Villa. <laughs> uh, Gary Neville, well, that's fifty million straight up. You know, we know straight we up. know what. Yeah, the top, yeah. I mean, he's a, better, he's a better fullback than Tyler Walker. Yeah, for sure. So in more than fifty million. No, I think fifty million because I think I think he's he's obviously doesn't have the pace that Walker has. So you lose something there. But tactical awareness, like Pep would have loved Gary Neville. He'll definitely come inside for you if you want him to. Um. I mean, Ronnie Johnson, 35? Very, very talented player. Not the high-profile one, uh, but a really excellent defender and great great on the ball. I mean, City would be all over him. Yeah. As great they, on the ball, Ronnie Johnson. As they yeah. would. Yeah, Yap Sham. Yap Sham, well, he's a, better, he's a better defender than Virgil van Dijk. So, yeah, Virgil van Dijk, uh, 75 million. He's 100. a 90 to 100 million pound defender. Yeah, 100 mil, straight up. No doubt. Yap Sham, 100 mil. Cause, because he was everything. Like, he's an incredibly dominant physical defender, but also, like, you know, raised in the Dutch total football school. And you could tell, couldn't you? So, excellent on the ball. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and he could beat you up as well as play football. So, uh, Dennis how old, Irwin. How old was Dennis Irwin at this point? Because prime Dennis Irwin, that is seventy million minimum. One of the best fullbacks in history can play right. Dennis or left Irwin. Back. I will quickly uh, Wikipedia him. He was getting uh, he was getting on a bit. I remember because he's, he left he's fifty two now, so it's eighteen years. So, um, no, no, he was mid twenties. He wasn't getting on a bit. Oh, okay. All right. I thought he left United in sort of fairly early 2000s. Let's add it up. Let's add it up. 99 is nearly 19 years ago. Christ almighty. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, sorry. My math is crap. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he was just over 30. Okay, so still 40 million. I'm going Dennis Elway. <laughs> well, <laughs> superb player. But yeah, maybe, maybe not 40 All for right. a player that old but um all right then we get into midfield i mean this is gonna be ridiculous yeah they're here. just all 150 million gigs 150, Giggsy, million. 150 easily for gigsy skulls no 150 no problem yeah kino kino might Jesus. be he might be the single most important footballer in any team in history like if you don't want to spend 150 million on roy Keane, there's something wrong with you and and bex would just be huge money because it, you know globalization but also also, I mean, especially in 1999, absolutely incredible at football. Like this is like this is prime assist and set piece Beckham, isn't it? Like so, that's 150 million each for them. Right, and York and Cole, you got two 25 goalie season plus <laughs> strikers there. So, so you, you know, Cole's the less sort of all round talented player. Yeah, but he's a heck of a. He's the fox in the box. He's well, Lukaku 75 million. So yeah. He's more that's that's Coley. Yeah, all right, and then and then York 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 ninety bit more talent. Yeah, ninety mil. Yeah, but, easy. You know, character issues, as they say in American sports. <laughs> um, character issues. We've missed Nicky yeah, Butt. Yeah, Nicky yeah. Butt. Be he, he, f- 
Nicky Barkos. Oh, N- N- Nicky Barkos played in that final. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Forty mil. Yeah, easy, easy. Uh, yes, but Blomqvist played in that final. I mean, he 17. would now be. Yeah, you know, he he would he was uh, he would now be a thirty million pound player because you know Victor Lindelof's a thirty million pound player. <laughs> Seventeen mil. I'm saying. I'm saying that that'd be what he'd go for now. Cheapening him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, hell of a lot. The manager, priceless, priceless. <laughs> Very good. Uh, That's it this week, I think. Good show. I don't mean like jolly good show, old chap. I mean good show, as in that was a fun show. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. We've got to do a prediction for the Oval game. Four nil. Ah, yeah, finally. Come on. What's happened to four nil FC? Four nil. Nothing less will be accepted. No more will Very be accepted good. either. Precisely four goals, please, United. And we'll squeeze in a pod in between Yeovil and Spurs the following Wednesday. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, in the meantime, take good care of yourselves. Enjoy the game. If you're travelling down, um, I hope you're in good voice and have a great time. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. See you then. The Rankcast is produced by Tom Jenkins and supported by listeners like you. Head to patreon.com slash rankcast to find out more.